Welcome. This is Crime Noir, a true crime podcast telling our stories. And I'm your host, Candace, and this is Case 20, The Disappearance of Sage Smith. Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of Crime Noir. I know it's been a little minute, but I decided to take a little holiday break, and I hope that all you guys had a wonderful holiday. It's a new year, so hopefully um, in 2020, some cases are resolved and some missing women and men are found. Today, I'm going to be talking about Sage Smith. She's a transgender woman from Virginia. I happen to cover a lot of cases from Virginia. I don't know if it's because I'm from Virginia or what, but I like to really put on for the D.C., Maryland, and Virginia area. So before I get started, I would just like to do a trigger warning that although today's episode does not feature explicit language, I do talk about sensitive themes, including violent themes, so listener discretion is advised. So Sage Smith was a 19-year-old transgender woman who went missing from Charlottesville, Virginia on November 20th, 2012. That day, that afternoon, she woke up her roommate, Aubrey Carson, who was laying on the couch taking a nap, and Sage told Aubrey that she was stepping out to meet an acquaintance that she had met online, so basically online dating. The last relative to see her live was her stepsister, Kiera Morgan. She saw Sage at approximately 6.36 p.m. on that evening on Main Street in Charlottesville, Virginia. At the time, Sage was talking on the phone with a friend, which was later determined to be Eric Tyquan McFadden, and stated that she would be meeting them at their meeting spot, which was near Amtrak Station. Later that evening, around 7 p.m., a friend of Sage's named Monica saw her at a local eatery called the Wild Wing Cafe was shared a building with the Amtrak station. Sage was supposed to meet her mother and her sisters for Thanksgiving. She was surprising her sisters with a visit. A little bit of background about Sage is that she had a difficult time growing up. At the age of three, her mother was unable to care for her, and Sage was raised by her paternal grandmother from the age of three. Her grandmother, Lolita Smith, who also went by the name of Miss Cookie, lived with Sage in an affordable housing complex. At the age of 12, I believe, Sage was returned back to her mother's care, but was soon put into foster care after her mother was deemed unfit to raise her. As a gay teen, Sage experienced a turbulent childhood. She was constantly mocked and criticized for her gender expression. However, her best friend Shakira, who was also a transgender teen, and they spent a lot of time together. They hung out and they also went to prom together. Some of this criticism came from Sage's father, who openly admitted to handling Sage's coming out terribly, but they were able to get it together at the urging of Sage's younger brother. She graduated high school, and she was the first in her family to do so, and she was making great strides in her life. She left the foster care system. She found a duplex apartment called the Dollhouse Mansion on Harris Street that summer, and she moved in with her roommates. And she recently came out as transgender to her family and friends. When she graduated from Charlottesville High School in 2011, she was going to school for cosmetology. She found a job in salon and braided hair on the side. She was a typical teen. She enjoyed dancing, posting on social media, talking on the phone, which she did a lot. And that's how you know something is awry when she stopped posting. But we'll get into that. Her dancing stood out to many friends, and there was a YouTube channel dedicated to her dancing, 
and when she still went by her former name, Deshad. But I have been unable to find it. Sage was also described as trendy, fashionable, and dressed well, regardless if she went out as female or male. Emma Eisenberg of Splinter News wrote in her article about Sage Smith that Sage, Aubrey, and Shakira went to parties that catered to men on the quote-unquote down low and hosted parties, sometimes hooking up with men for money. Her article both insinuated and stated outright that Sage turned to sex work to make ends meet, that some of the men were married or not openly gay, but that Sage and Sakura often texted each other about when they were meeting these men to make sure that they were safe. Miss Eisenberg also stated that Sage had some trouble due to her contacting the wife of a man that she was seeing, and she placed ads on Craigslist, Casual Encounters, where police believe Sage may have met Eric McFadden. I'd like to add a disclaimer that no other news article made mention of this side of Sage's life, Though, due to the details included, I'm not exactly sure if this is true or not, but I do think it's an interesting tidbit. Sage's troubles did not end there. Sage and her friends were involved in a fight on November 19, 2012, over a man one of Sage's friends were thought to be sleeping with. Sage ended up fighting a man named Jamal Smith, an acquaintance of Sage's. Police were called to the scene, but no arrests were made. Shakira later speculated on this incident, stating that while fights were not unusual, it wasn't a fight that should have involved either Shakira or Sage, but that Sage took the burn of it. Jamel Smith, a prolific tweeter, later tweeted that he had been disrespected to the point of no return. This might have made Jamel seem like a very likely suspect. However, he stopped tweeting shortly after this statement for nearly a month. A few months later, on May 11, 2013, he tweeted how he hated men that wanted to be women. However, it's believed that Jamel was in jail during this time, though Shakira still believes that either he or someone he knows is involved with Sage's disappearance. The investigation discovery episode said that there was another gentleman outed by Sage that was incarcerated during this time. But there is no indication that this was Jamel Smith. A detective on the case told Miss Eisenberg that they have considered Jamel a person of interest and that he doesn't have an alibi, but his whereabouts were unknown at that time. Due to Sage's experience of harassment as both a gay black teen and a transgender black teen, Sage was always thoughtful about her surroundings and the safety of both herself and her friends. She once waited outside of a house that Shakira was in with a UVA professor to make sure Shakira was okay. She wouldn't have gone off with someone she didn't know, according to her friend Aubrey, who also noted that they were once chased by an aggressive crowd while dressed as women. The night that Sage disappeared, her last call was to an unknown number that police gave to her family in hopes of identifying it. Sage's father, Dean, posted the number to Facebook, asking if anyone recognized the number. Yami Ortiz, an acquaintance who moved in the same circles as Sage, said that she recognized the unknown number as it belonged to Eric Taekwon McFadden. Eric was the voice on the other end of the line with Sage when her stepsister spotted her on the street. This led to investigators pouring most of their time and effort on investigating Eric McFadden as a person of interest in Sage's disappearance. Eric also sent Sage several text messages stating that he was stood up and was leaving. Eric and Sage had been exchanging emails and texts for weeks and had met before. According to the Charlie Project, Sage had accepted money in exchange for keeping the nature of the couple's relationship quiet. 
Eric's girlfriend, Esther Ayani, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, a University of Virginia student, called police on November 24th, 2012, stating that she had been unable to get in touch with her boyfriend and was worried about him being safe. Esther was out of town during the school break, so she couldn't check on Eric herself. Police stated that they were already looking into Eric's disappearance to question him about Sage's missing persons case. The police also confirmed that Eric had not shown up to work without calling in or warning his employee that he'd be out. The next day, Eric contacted Esther, telling her that he was in Washington, D.C. and needed some money. She explained that the police wanted to get in touch with him about Sage Smith. The police took Eric's contact information and went to search Esther's apartment for Eric. Receipts from Charlottesville CBS showed that Eric had still been in Charlottesville at least two days after Sage's disappearance. Just an interesting tidbit, um, as this is possibly a police tactic, but police feel that Eric did not have the means to hide a body in Charlottesville. He didn't know how to drive. Someone from work was teaching him how. He was new in town, so he didn't really know the location well. They also suspect that anyone who had committed murder and hidden a body probably would have left town immediately after. The detectives also say that Eric's digital footprint does not indicate someone who had committed murder and that the timestamps plus the time that Sage was cited at the cafe rules Eric out as a suspect, though. He is still considered a person of interest, as he was outed at this time on Facebook as gay, and police say he didn't run until he was outed on Facebook. On November 24th, Eric called police and stated he was in New York. He said that Sage never showed up for their meeting. He hung up when police suggested he go to Charlottesville to speak with them. A few days later, on November 30th, Esther called the police again. She said that Eric was going to run. Eric emailed Esther from an untraceable email address, stating that he'd never done anything with Sage, that Sage was blackmailing Eric, and that he never had a sexual relationship with Sage. He also stated in the same email that Sage had a lot of enemies and that we were walking and some people showed up and I kept walking, not looking back, insinuating that an unknown person may have attacked Sage. Eric McFadden's mother and stepmother have not heard from him since 2012. In June 2019, his mother officially filed a missing persons report on Eric. Eric is not only a person of interest in this case, but a lot of suspicious activity of some of Sage's friends have piqued the interest of the police and also relatives of Sage. Two days after she disappeared, her roommate, Aubrey Carson, was seen on security footage using Sage's EBT card at a local convenience store. Aubrey claimed that this was something that friends, the friends did often. Shakira also claimed to see Aubrey wearing one of Sage's wigs. And Dean, who was Sage's dad, said that they were all gone when he went to Sage's apartment shortly after her disappearance. So what the heck, y'all? Another of Sage's friends was seen wearing a jacket of hers, and another friend was wearing a locket that belonged to Sage, stating her boyfriend gave it to her. Sage's father and stepson both claimed that Aubrey and Sage's relationship was one haunted by jealousy and that Sage was always the star of the show and Aubrey wanted to be her. Another issue brought up is the nature of Aubrey's relationship to Eric McFadden. She stated that she knew him a little, but another witness places Aubrey at a nightclub the Saturday before Sage's disappearance 
with both Eric and Sage. Two years after Sage disappeared, um, she came back into the news after student Hannah Graham disappeared. Um, I've talked about her a little bit briefly when I was covering Alexis Murphy. She is a student that disappeared from UVA, and the media coverage she received in terms of visibility versus Alexis Murphy and Sage Smith is is astonishing. She was everywhere. It made national news. Meanwhile, Sage Smith, I barely had heard of. Alexis Murphy made a blur, but definitely not Sage Smith. And Dean Smith was kind of pissed off about it, which I don't blame him. He said, I watched the helicopters come right up and over the field there behind my house. They didn't do that for my child, which they didn't. And it's sickening. One life isn't more important than the other. All these cases deserve visibility. The Virginia Department of Criminal Justice Services has a clear protocol as of 2015 for high-risk missing persons cases. Though no such document existed in 2012, when called for comment, the CPD declined to do so. The protocol includes making requests for search and rescue and other external support in the early hours of the investigation. Yet the detectives did not make any requests for substantive external support in this case until December 1st, 2012, 11 days after Sage went missing. Detective Mooney said that the Virginia State Police and the U.S. Marshals were consulted and that the FBI offered technical assistance to find Eric McFadden. When contacted this February, the first two agencies said they never had any agents working on Sage's case, nor are they actively assisting on it now. Why? Why are they not doing anything? Protocol also advises police officers to contact local government and trash companies to request a delay in trash collections near where the subject was last seen or might have been abducted. CPD did not request any such delays. Finally, protocol advises detectives to get consent or obtain search warrants for emails, chats, and other online communications for clues relevant to the disappearance and to communicate frequently and openly with the victim's family. Police did file for a warrant to search the email files associated with Sage's phone, as well as the laptop they seized from Eric's apartment, but not until March 11, 2013, nearly four months after Sage's disappearance. Miss Alita states that she had to call and leave messages for several days, even during the first week of the investigation, in order to receive a return phone call from Lee CPD Detective Mark Bray. Y'all, what the heck? What the heck? And I guarantee if Sage looked differently, this wouldn't have happened. Aubrey Carson, who called about Sage's disappearance, was not contacted until three or four days, maybe longer, after Sage went missing. Aubrey was staying with their grandmother about 20 minutes north of town. Detectives asked Aubrey to come down to the police station, and they agreed. But because they didn't have a car, they asked to be picked up at their grandmother's home. The detective agreed, but no officers ever showed up. Aubrey was not interviewed for nearly two more weeks. When interviewed in January 2016, Shakira said detectives have never talked to her beyond a short factual phone call. Detective Mooney said he had been meaning to get around to talk to her, but he's on desk duty and has been since 2015 because of a knee injury, and he hasn't been able to do so. So, hmm, interesting. A final point of misstep was when police communicated with the public. 
On November 28th, with Sage missing for eight days and detectives searching the areas around McFadden's apartment, Lieutenant Ronnie Roberts called the first press conference about Sage's case. It's not a criminal case. That's what he hollered. (laughs) Stupid. Just downright stupid and ignorant. And why would you, on God's earth, say that? I mean, I have to laugh because it's just so ludicrous. Anyway, let me just get back to it, y'all. Even another detective said he don't know why he said that. Like, why would you say that? A person goes missing under weird circumstances, and it's not a criminal case? Like, come on now. Detective Mooney said the case was clearly criminal since Eric had reached out to his girlfriend admitting to meeting with Sage. Uh, at that point, obviously something had transpired. What happened, we don't know. But it's clear she was either kidnapped, held against her will, or possibly met with harm. The Charlottesville Police Department is no stranger to racial controversy. From 2003 to 2004, as a part of a rape investigation, Detective Mooney and other officers stopped black men on the street and also showed up to their home and workplaces. They demanded cheek squabs and officers collected swabs from 190 black men. There was widespread outrage, and one man filed a 2004 lawsuit against the police officers. Detective Mooney was one of them, and it listed assault and battery and racial discrimination in the lawsuit. Then there's there are facts that Sage is trans and has also moved within the queer community. In official police documents, the police referred to her as her old name, which is Deshaun LaQuinn Smith, and which is her birth name. Despite being corrected of this, they put her real name, Sage Smith, in quotation marks, and they continue to refer to her as he, which is very problematic and people shouldn't do. It's just a pronoun. It shouldn't affect you that much. Um, Detective Mooney also says problematic things such as calling gay as an alternative lifestyle, which is very, like, homophobic, and come on now, that's not really helpful to somebody when you're trying to search for them and stuff like that. I know in November 2015, Mooney and some company decided to pass out flyers to businesses regarding Sage's disappearance, and some businesses decided to turn it away, which is kind of sad to me because, like, come on, all this... Hanging it up could help bring her home, and you're refusing for what? But who knows? And also the Q, which is a center for missing persons, was there to support the family. They even had a bench made in Sage's honor. Miss Lolita asked the city if she could place a bench in the city park, and the city said yes, uh, but they told her that it would cost her $1,000. So there's that, and it's just kind of sad how Sage's story went to the wayside. I'm glad to be covering this. I have a goal to cover more LGBTQIA stories on crime noir. So if you know any, please let me know. My theories on this case is that I believe that Sage met foul play, maybe by the hands of Eric. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Um, I'm not sure if she's the one who outed him, but it could have been something like that. Um, I do hope her case is solved in 2020 or she comes home, whatever the case may be. Um, I just think the story is sad and it deserves way more national attention. 
And as always, if you guys have any information regarding her disappearance, I encourage you guys to call the Charlottesville Police Department at 434-970-3280. And there is a $20,000 reward if you have any information that could lead to her whereabouts or an arrest in this case. I just have one story for Noir News this week. Um, It's been weighing on me kind of heavily. It's very, very sad. I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen that um, Destiny Harrison was killed in Baltimore while working at her salon on December 21st, 2019. Um, A couple days prior or maybe earlier, I'm not exactly sure what the time frame was, but her store was broken into and she was robbed of hair bundles by a couple, and I guess they came back to quote-unquote finish the job, and I just find this situation completely deplorable. It's been tearing on my heartstrings that somebody um, is trying to make something of their lives, and someone just comes in and hates, because I consider that hate. Like, get your money up. Boss up. Like, why you gotta rob this 21-year-old girl trying to make something for her life and her kid and just take her life away over weave and just crabs in a barrel and it's just completely sad I did see um boxer Javante Davis paid for her funeral in entirety which I think is completely dope he's also from Baltimore so I thought that was a really good nice gesture to do for him for her and her family and it made me a fan of his because he didn't have to do that but that's what building the community is about The police are offering a $4,000 reward um, for information regarding Destiny's case. So if you know anything, I'm urging you to please call 410-396-2100. And that just wraps up today's episode, you guys. I appreciate you guys for sticking with me. Um, In 2020, I hope to be a little bit more consistent with the podcast. I have a website being made currently, so I can't wait to roll that out for you guys. Um, A few of you guys have purchased merchandise from me and I appreciate that. And I hope to sell more of that to you guys in the future. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe to Crime Noir. You can follow me on Twitter at CrimeXNoir. You can follow me on Instagram at Crime Noir the podcast. And I just always appreciate you guys for always listening to me. And I will talk to you guys soon. Have a nice day. Bye.